just for everybody who's moving forward in your faith, that's what we're doing in this series. We're talking about test the water, and I'm challenging and encouraging everyone to take a step, everybody to move towards faith. When I'm talking about test the water, I'm not talking about playing it safe, making a safe play. I'm talking about making a faith play. Well, what, what is it God is instructing us to do? How is he working in our lives? What is the step that he's asking you to take? And, you know, part of our church, you might not know this, but one of the hallmarks of our church, part of our culture, is that we embrace risk. That's what we do here. Now, when I talk about we embrace risk, I'm not saying that you should move your 401k into cryptocurrency. Okay, that's not the kind of risk I'm talking about. Yeah, but have you seen Dogecoin? Yes, don't do it, okay? I'm telling you it's a bad idea. But when I'm talking about risk, what I'm talking about is the kind of faith that believes God for big things and then acts on it. I'm talking about the kind of faith that'll buy a 67,000-foot grocery store in a pandemic. I'm talking about the kind of faith that believes that nobody is too far gone that they can't be saved. I'm talking about the kind of faith that believes that despite what your marriage looks like, it can be the marriage that God intended. I'm talking about the kind of faith that no matter where you're at, what you've done, that God still has a purpose and plan for your life. I'm talking about that kind of faith, and then you act on it. That's what we mean when we talk about we embrace risk, and that's what we're endeavoring to do in this series, test the water, a faith that doesn't cling to the safety of the shoreline, but that launches out into deep waters. Let's go deeper today. Can we do that? So I want to use as the launching point of our message today, a scripture found in the book of Luke, because Luke writes of an account that I believe exhibits exactly what it means to go deeper in your faith. Now, in the passage we're going to look at, this is still very early on in Jesus' ministry. Not a lot has happened yet. He hasn't even picked his team. He is, he's just getting started. We're actually going to see him begin to pick uh, one of his disciples before we're done. And uh, the, the kind of major events that have happened so far is that uh, Jesus has been baptized in the River Jordan. And he has, uh, from that point, immediately he goes into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit, where he is tested by temptation. After that, he comes full, uh, back full of the Holy Spirit and with power and begins to preach and teach in the synagogues, in the various cities. And that's, that's where we're at. And it's interesting, when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, you don't have to read very far, look very long, to see that Jesus' life was very closely connected to water. Have you ever noticed that before? Like Jesus, the very first thing that happens before he launches his ministry He's baptized in the River Jordan, baptized in the water. His very first miracle, you know what it was? He went to the wedding, and he turned these six giant barrels full of water into wine. From there, just shortly after that, he goes to a well where he meets a woman, and he says, anybody who thirsts, I will give them living water. And then there's just all sorts of things. It talks about the Holy Spirit being rivers of living water. There's a miracle where he heals this blind man. He could have just spoke the word, but he spits in his eye. He talks about his life being poured out like a drink offering. There's just all these different things. One thing that's clear, Jesus had an opinion about water. However, there is no water so closely associated with the life and ministry of Jesus as the Sea of Galilee. In fact, he spent so much of his time 
around here in this area on the Sea of Galilee, sometimes on a boat, sometimes walking on it. He spent so much of his time in this area that the Sea of Galilee is sometimes referred to as the fifth gospel because it tells so much of his life. And one thing you got to understand is that the Sea of Galilee, it's not really a sea, at least not in the way that we would think of a sea. It's, I mean, it's, it's pretty good size, but it's actually a lake. And so if you read through scripture and sometimes you see a place called this Lake of Gennesaret, and then sometimes you see this other place called the Sea of Galilee, you'd be forgiven for thinking that they are two different places, but they're actually the same place. Whenever you read in scripture, Lake Gennesaret, or you see Sea of Galilee, just know those are the exact same place. And Luke, when he's writing the gospel we're looking at today, he gets it right. He, he usually calls it a lake because Luke was a medical doctor, so he was kind of obsessive about the details. You see this like if you ever uh, read about uh, something that happened in Mark and you read about the same encounter in Luke, like Mark will be like, this guy was sick, and Luke will be like, no, actually he had a discharge. And that's like, that's gross, Luke. Why are you telling us that? Because see, hanging out with Luke was basically like, you know, spending too much time on WebMD. It's just way too much information. Uh, you don't really need to know all that. But, uh, but Luke was like, look, it is not a sea, it's a lake. I know I went to medical school, so he, he gets it right. The, the funny thing is, though, to make it more confusing, uh, this lake had lots of different names. Like the Romans had one name for it. They called it Tiberius. Today, it's not even called the Sea of Galilee. It's called Chinneroth. And see, all these different names. This basically, this is like Prince. You just, you don't know what to call this thing um, by the time you're done. But I, I'm thankful for Luke's details because Luke is the only gospel writer that goes into any detail about this event that we're going to look at today. So if you want to follow along, in your Bibles, and I always encourage you to do that on your phones. We'll put the words on the screen for you so everybody can follow along, but uh, if you don't have a Bible, here's my recommendation. Go to Bible.com on your phone and just download the Bible app that way, and you'll have a Bible, and there's devotionals, and you can follow along. It's got every translation you ever need, and, uh, and that way you can take notes and make sure I'm not making this up, because, I mean, you don't know. Like, I could just be putting words on the screen and making stuff up. You got to see it for yourself. So I was encouraged you to read the Bible for yourself, but in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, this is what we're going to look at. It says, and I'm reading from the NIV translation. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, okay, Luke, we get it, it's a lake, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets, and he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Now, i got to stop here for just a minute because you might be new to the Bible and might not know all the characters. Simon is a guy we typically refer to as Peter. He, he's not Peter yet. Right now, he's still Simon. But he, he's this guy who had this incredible encounter with Jesus. This is one of those moments. And his time with Jesus so marked him, so impacted him, that his identity changed. Can I just tell you that Jesus wants to do the same thing in your life? Doesn't matter what people have said about you doesn't matter what people have called you. It doesn't matter how you see yourself. When you have an encounter with Jesus, it changes your identity. It changes the way other people see you. It changes the way you see yourself. And so Peter, Simon, he has this encounter with Jesus. Now he's known as Peter, but here he's still Simon. And there was one of his boats and Jesus saw him and he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat, turned this boat into a pulpit, 
And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, hey, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Well, Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So let me pause here for a moment because I want you to be in this text with me. I want you to visualize it. You got to see it in your mind. You got to see it like you're there because if you just read this kind of like I read it, you're going to get it wrong. But you got to read this like Peter is a teenager because see, I have a 14-year-old. And whenever I read scripture, I was reading like a bunch of different translations. Like one of the translations doesn't say because you say so. It says if you say so. And so you got to imagine this. Like Peter, he's like, Master, we have been working hard all night. I'm an expert at this. We've caught nothing. If you say so, all right, okay, I guess so. You know, got to get the eye roll, eye roll emoji in there. That's what he does. So he does it, and it says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. In this passage, Peter is initially hesitant. But he experiences an incredible miracle. And he almost missed it. He almost missed the entire thing. And that's what I want to talk about today because sometimes we can miss what God wants to do in our life because we let things stop us. And I want to use this text to ask you this question. And this is the title of my message. What's the catch? What's the catch? Can you help me preach this just a minute? I don't know if I've done this since we've been back since covid I'm not going to ask you to touch anybody, but can you just look at somebody, just make eye contact with them, and just ask them, what's the catch? Will you do that? Make sure you're, you're, you're with me. What's the catch? What's stopping you? Hey, it's always my custom to pray before we get into God's word. I know I need it when I get up here, and I've got a hunch you might need it too. Would you just bow your head? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word brings life and brings light. God, for whatever we're facing, speak to those situations today, God. I thank you for it. Believe you will in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. This text we're looking at today, it is a classic passage. I mean, if you have ever, like, gone to Sunday school or went to a VBS, you've probably encountered this before. VBS, Vacation Bible School, for those of you that didn't grow up in church, any... uh, former VBSers in here just want to know, and that's pretty good. That's great. God has been at work in your life, planting seeds for this moment right here. But uh, to set the scene for those of us that don't know, um, Peter is done in this moment. Done. Have you ever been done? I mean, done, done. Like you are finished. You, you are put out. I actually wanted to call this sermon put out. But um, I know some of you are barely saved, so you would go a different direction with that. So turn to your neighbor and tell him, put out. That would be way different. But I I was going to call it put out because Peter is put out in this text. He is inconvenienced. He he is irritated. He's done. And then 
Jesus has the nerve to tell Peter to put out a little, to go put out a little from the shore, put out into the deep waters. Well, that is where Peter's at right now. He is, he's put out. He's done. He is frustrated because he's worked all night and it's been fruitless. He, he, he's worked, but he feels like his work has been wasted because he's got nothing for show, to show for it, hasn't produced what he was doing. And I don't know if you've ever had a day like that where you're just done. I'm done today. But I don't even know if it was a day. For some of us, it's a season, <laughs> a season where we have invested, where, where we are beyond tired. Anybody beyond tired? I've had enough of this. When is it going to be over? I'm, I'm, I'm beyond the point. You invested, you strive, you endeavored, but, but all your efforts, all your exertion has only led to exasperation. If you can relate to that, you're going to be able to relate to Peter, Simon Peter. You see, he's been out all night because that's the time when you catch fish. So master fisherman, he knows that the best fishing, this isn't like a hobby for him. This is what he did for a livelihood. He knows you catch fish at night. That's what you do. And he's tired. And just at the time when he has cleaned the nets, just at the time where he has docked the boats, just at the time where he has got everything wrapped up and everything is secure and everything is positioned and everything is done, just at this moment, here comes Jesus with a crowd behind him. I know it's been a while since some of us has been in a crowd because you don't know what that is. It would not be like this, okay? This was not the crowd. You did not have elbow room in this. This was a moment where people were fighting and elbowing for position because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say and see what he might do. Well, I'm bringing that up because I want you to understand there's a lot of frustration in this text. Peter's frustrated because he's fished all night, hasn't caught anything. The people are frustrated because they're trying to hear what Jesus has to say and they don't want to miss it. So Jesus, he sees this situation going on. They're crowding him. His back is against the water. He sees these two boats and he decides... I'm going to step in one so I can preach to them. I'm trying to set this up because I want you to see this would not have seemed like an honor to Peter. Oh, Jesus is getting my boat? Well, yes, master, of course. No, that's not what he's been like. Really? Are you kidding me right now? Can you not see that I am done? Can you not see that I have just wrapped up? Really? You're going to get in my boat right now? And Jesus has the nerve to say, hey, can you give me a push? Can you put out just a little bit, just a, just a little bit out into the shore? And the boat almost sank. And yet, it almost never happened at all. Because Peter tried to talk Jesus out of it. Here's what I want you to know. This is the first thing you should write down. There is always going to be a good reason to stay on the shore. But good reasons can cause you to miss God moments. Let me say that again. Some of you need to write this down, get it tattooed on your arm. 
There's always going to be a reason to stay on the shore. But good reasons can cause you to miss God moments. Now, we know how this story ends. Okay, great. There's this awesome miracle. Peter gets all these fish. It's incredible. Peter has no idea. He doesn't know where this is going. And I wonder how many times we do the same thing. God asks us, just put out a little from the shore. Just, just put out just a little bit. Just step out beyond where, not much, just a step. Can you just, can you just move beyond where, can you just take a step today? Just a little one. And we've got all the reasons why it wouldn't be a good idea. Right? Good reasons. Let's just think of some of the reasons for Peter. Peter's got some good reasons not to do this. He has been working all night. All night. Like, you know, 8 p.m. to who knows what time it is now. Maybe by the time he's wrapping up his nets, maybe it's 11 a.m. He has been working all night. He's tired. Jesus shows up. Jesus is a preacher. I mean, does he even work? That's what I want to know. It's like, really? I don't know about you, Jesus. I've been working. What do you do? Talk? He's been working all night, 11 a.m., just strolling in with these people. Not only that, it's not like Peter has just come to shore. I mean, it's not like he just pulled up and Jesus comes and they meet in this moment. He's like, oh, we're already, you're still in the boat. Let me just, no, he is like, he's wrapped up. Everything is finished. Washing the nets was the very last thing. This is not just like a little fishnet stocking, all right? This is isn't like, you know, a little butterfly net. This net would have been half a mile long. This was an incredible ordeal to pull out, get clean, put away. It is the last thing he has to do, and he's wrapped up. It's not a small deal. On top of that, you got to imagine this is a little humiliating. He's a fisherman by trade. His boat is empty. So what, Jesus is just going to highlight the fact that I was unsuccessful today? Thank you very much. Just want to point out, draw all these people to the fact that I've got nothing to show for my labor? Humiliating. Not to mention, I didn't tell you this earlier, this is not the first time Peter met Jesus. Jesus met Peter. Previous chapter, chapter 4, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus went to the house, healed her. I think he probably still has some resentment about that. So from, from this, I'm kidding. Come on, can we have fun? My mother-in-law watches this. All right. So Peter's got all these reasons. That's what I'm trying to say. He's got his reasons. He's got some good reasons. On top of that, Peter is the expert. This is his profession. He, he's not a novice. He owns the boat. This is his trade. This is his livelihood. His reasoning is valid. And yet, conventional wisdom can keep you from a miracle. Good reasons can cause you to miss God moments. So you can't just look at the reasons. If you just look at the reasons, you'll excuse your inactivity. If you just look at the reasons, you'll embrace your passivity. If you just look at the reasons, you'll justify all the, all, all the reasons why, why you're not moving forward. And see, sometimes we think, like, 
Well, it's hard to trust God in the areas where we don't have any experience. It's hard to trust God in the things that we don't know anything about. But the truth is just the opposite. A lot of times the reason it's hard to trust God isn't because of all the things we don't know. It's because of everything we do know. It's not that you don't know stuff. It's that you know too much. And everything you know is working against what God is calling you to do because this whole situation went against Peter's best judgment. All of his training was fish at night, clean the nets, go to bed. Fish at night, clean the nets, go to bed. Fish at night, clean the nets, go to bed. And here he's got Jesus interrupting him with an invitation. See, Jesus has a way of challenging conventional wisdom. God has a way of challenging conventional wisdom. <laughs> conventional wisdom say, when you're 100 years old, your child birthing days are behind you. God shows up to Abraham and Sarah, says, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to give birth. <laughs> conventional wisdom would say, you're going to fight a giant? You make sure you got some armor. You need to make sure you got a sword. You need to be ready for this. God shows up and says, uh, I'm going to use Dennis the Menace and his slingshot. Take this guy down. Conventional wisdom says, if you're going to feed 5,000 people, you need to call the caterer. At the very least, you need to go to Costco. Jesus says, I'm good with a Lunchable. I, I, I can get it done. God will always challenge conventional wisdom. And conventional wisdom will give you good reasons to stay in the safety net of the shoreline, but good reasons can cause you to miss God moments. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm saying they're good reasons, but they can cause you to miss God moments. Now, the crowd had gathered to hear Jesus preach, and Peter wasn't necessarily in the crowd, but he wasn't really committed yet either. I mentioned this, but the previous chapter, Jesus and Peter already met. He heals his mother-in-law. So Peter, he's not just one of the crowd, but he's also not committed. And maybe that's a good question for you, is are you in the crowd or are you committed? Now understand, the crowd is not bad. I love the crowd. And if you're here and you're in the crowd... I'm glad that you're here because the crowd is a great place to be. The, the crowd is the place that hears the word of God. The crowd is the place that receives from God's word. The crowd is the place where you can accept Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. The crowd, we all start in the crowd, but we're not meant to stay there. And what Jesus is wanting to get across to Peter is that, Peter, you're not meant to stay in the crowd. I know you're not committed yet, but can you push out just a little bit? Can you, can you just move a little beyond where you are? And people don't experience all that God has for him because they stay on the shoreline. It's the safety of the shore. I thought it was interesting when I was reading this that the first time God, <laughs> first, first time Jesus talks to Peter, he asks him to put out a little but the next time, he just gives an instruction. Did you notice that? Let's look at verse 3. 
says he got into one of the boats talking about Jesus, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, this next time, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. See, God wants you to grow in obedience the longer you're with him. So when you start out, he'll make an invitation. He'll make a request. Hey, would you do this? Would you do this just, just a little bit, just a little beyond where you're at? But the longer you're with Jesus, the deeper he wants to take you. And now he wants to see not just will you respond to a, requ a request, but will you be obedient to an instruction? There's a difference. And that's the real test of faith. So here's the second thing you need to know. That faith, this is the theme of our series, faith is choosing our obedience over our objections. <laughs> when God gives you an instruction, you're going to have objections. When God gives you an instruction, there's going to be some things like, I don't know about that. What about this? But did you consider this, God? But do you know about this? God will give you an instruction. You'll have objections. And in this text, see, Jesus sees the potential of Peter in a man named Simon, and he invites him to do something in the, in the form of instruction. He says, I want to take you deeper. This is what God has wanted in your life. He's wanted to take you deeper. You can't see the full scope of it yet. You can't even imagine it. It's more than you can contain. But Peter has objections. Look, <laughs> verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. Now, what he said was not wrong. What he said was true. What he said was factually accurate. And I, I'm sure with your objections, they are not wrong. They are true. They are factually accurate. But if he would have stayed there, he would have missed the miracle. Because before God can demonstrate his power in your life, he wants you to demonstrate obedience in your life. And you have to launch out if you're going to go deeper. If you want to grow with God, you have to take a step. You can't stay where you're at. I said this last week, but it's often the simple instructions that have the deepest impact. It's often the little instructions that have the biggest impact. All through Scripture, Scripture is littered with examples of simple instructions that require obedience. Think about Abraham. I mentioned him, the 100-year-old guy who had a kid. The first time God speaks to him, you know what he says? He says, go to the land that I'm going to show you. He didn't say, I want you to go to Canaan. He didn't say, I want you to go to this place. I'm going to tell you where it's at. He said, I want you to take a step, and after you take a step, I'm going to show you where to go. You don't know how it's all going to work out, but can you take a step? Can you put out just a little bit? Can you push out just a little bit? How, how about in uh, Joshua and the walls of Jericho? If you read that story, God did not tell him what all was going to happen, how the victory was going to come about. All he said is, can you be obedient? I want you to march around. And then the next day, I want you to march around. And the next day, I want you to march around. And seven times, and on the seventh time, I want you to do it. Seven. 
Seventh Daniel, what you do is seven times around and then shout. He didn't say, this is how I'm going to bring about a victory. This is what's going to happen. The wall. He didn't say any of that. He said, can you do this? How about Joseph? Joseph and Mary talking about objections. Joseph had objections to marrying Mary, mother of Jesus. He had objections. You read about it, it says he had in mind to divorce her. He didn't want to go through it. He had some good reasons, some valid objections. But yet, in this moment, an angel appeared to him, no, what is happening is of God. So I don't know what the specific thing God is asking you to do, but here's what I do know. If God, if you want to go deeper, you're going to have to move. And I do know one step for every person in here, regardless of where you're at. Because for every person in here, see, God wants to move you from the crowd. You might not be committed yet, but at least wants to enlist you in his crew. That's what he does with Peter. Hey, Peter, you might not be all in yet. You might not be in ministry, but hey, can you help me move this mission forward? Can you push out the boat? Can, can you make something happen? And that's God's heart for you. He wants you to help move his mission forward. I don't know if you know this, but we actually have a mechanism for helping you do this in our church. There's something called essentials, and you might not know what essentials is, or, or maybe you think it's like a membership class, so you've purposely been avoiding it, but essentials isn't any of that. And let me just tell you something about our church. We don't have membership at our church. We don't do membership. What we do is relationship, okay? We're not a gym, so you can't join us, and you can't quit us. <laughs> so so that's, that's not what this is about. I'm not trying to get you to join a church, but what I do want for you I want you to move forward in God's plan for your life. I care about you. If you're here in this room, I care about you. I, I, I want you to move forward in God's purpose. I want to see you grow in what God has for you. I want to see you grow spiritually. I want to be your pastor. I want to, I want to help you. Everybody needs a pastor. Everybody needs somebody like that. So if I'm your pastor, I, I want to help you with that. But if you're here and you're like, man, I I can't join in with the mission of this church. Or if you're here, like, man, I, this guy could never be my pastor. His jeans are too tight or whatever. You know, he dresses weird, whatever it is for you. Let me tell you, if I can't, if this isn't the place, I want to help you find someplace else. I mean that sincerely because you're missing out on what God has for you. If it's not here, let's go someplace where you can. Go someplace where you can contribute and make a difference. God wants you to not stay with the crowd, but move on to the crew, to being committed. And essentials is part of that. So here's what I ask. If I'm your pastor, this is your church, this is what you're about, there is absolutely no guilt in this, but I'm gonna make a request. In the next three weeks, you didn't plan on it today, so I'm giving you time to plan. In the next three weeks, I want you to plan to go to essentials. It's designed to help you. That's why it's called essential, right? So you need it. I want to ask you to, in the next three weeks, go to it. You can go to it today if you want. You don't have to sign up, but just plan on it and watch what God will do in your life because the possibilities of where God wants you to go, your potential in life is equal to your ability to choose obedience over your objections. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is often in a simple step of obedience. Don't make the mistake thinking that you're too big for simple instruction. Don't make the mistake of thinking that what you're doing is too important to obey a simple command. This is what Peter did. 
He had his objections. He didn't want to let down his net because he'd already been let down out all night, didn't catch anything. But he chose his obedience over his objections. Verse 5 said, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. That's faith. I might have objections, but I'm choosing my obedience. And obedience to God's instruction it always brings a blessing. Always, always, always will. What I love about the story, Peter couldn't even contain what God wanted to do. You know, that's true for most of us. The stuff that God wants to do in your life is so much bigger than what you can think or imagine. You can't even contain it. <laughs> Before Jesus showed up, Peter's problem was empty nets. Nothing but net. That's what, that was Peter's motto. After Jesus showed up, his problem is sinking ships. And he almost missed it. I thought it was interesting how Jesus picks somebody for a task that failed miserably. I mean, like, if I'm going to ask somebody to help, it's kind of like, you know, let's see your track record a little bit. Make sure you got some wins under your belt if I'm going to ask you to do something. But Jesus said, no, I don't see your lowest moments. I see your highest calling. I see what you can be. And that's the thing that you need to remember. If you're in a low place today, I want to encourage you that God does some of his greatest work from the lowest place. God does some of his greatest work in the lowest places. I started this message telling you about the Sea of Galilee. I actually was there a couple years ago in Capernaum on the sea in a boat. I was in this place. And you know, when you call it a sea, it's, it's really impressive. Like, it sounds really impressive about this big thing, but in some ways it is impressive. It was, it was impactful to me to be there. But it's, it's not like it's so big. Like, we've got bigger lakes here. It is the largest body of water in Israel. But maybe what's impressive about it, if it has any significance, is that it's actually the lowest freshwater lake in the entire world. It is the lowest place in the world, lowest freshwater lake. And I thought it was interesting that Jesus chose this place to set up the base of his ministry. To put that in perspective, 18 of his 33 recorded miracles happened in this place. But you know that's not really coincidence. God often does that. God often chooses to do some of his greatest work in the lowest place. I just want to encourage you, if you're here and you're in a low place today, it's been a tough week, tough year, tough season, tough day. Maybe your life doesn't reflect what you want. Can I tell you, you're in a great place for God to do a great work. Despite what you've experienced, what you've encountered, you're in a great position for a miracle. You're in a great position for God to use you. You're in a great position for God to move in your life. You're in a great position for God to do some of his greatest work. But you know, really, the greatest work wasn't the fish in the boat. The greatest work wasn't the catch in the sea. And the lowest place wasn't Peter being frustrated at the end of the day. The lowest place wasn't the empty nets. The greatest work in the lowest place was what happened after this. Let me read it to you. 
In verse eight, it says, when Simon Peter saw this, this incredible catch, he fell at Jesus' knees. It's a low place. And said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up the shore and left everything and followed him. What was the lowest place? It's when Peter decided to humble himself. You know, you might not circumstantially be in a low place, but maybe that's actually the instruction for you. Maybe you need to get there. Maybe your next step today is that you need to humble yourself so that God can work in your life because Peter had the greatest catch of his life. This would have been, there's never been a catch like, this would have been the greatest business deal he's ever done. And yet, Peter walked away from it. All the resource in the world doesn't matter if it's not fulfilling kingdom purpose. I can have a full net, but have an empty life. I don't, I don't wanna live that way. I want my life to be about God's purpose. And he left it all behind. Low place, great work. So I wanna ask you, what's the catch? What is stopping you from taking a step today? I'm just asking you to, to just step a little, just push out a little. I'm not asking you to do some great thing, just a small thing, just a small thing. God, I know you got reasons, they're good ones. They are good ones. But good reasons can cause you to miss God moments. I, I know you've got objections and they're valid. Faith, what we're talking about, is choosing your obedience over your objections. And despite where you're at, maybe you're not where you want to be. Some of the greatest miracles come from the lowest place.